to see everybody. You know, we had a, an amazing last weekend when we joined with just millions of people all over the world, remembering the significant moment we call Easter and what that represents, not just the cross, but the resurrection. And uh, there were so many people just, uh, you know, I was able to be at both campuses and, and just watch everything that was going on. And, and in many cases, whatever else was happening in front, there were so many other volunteers, so many of you were behind the scenes um, serving in such humble and beautiful ways. It really was, in my opinion, a, a privilege to just say, be able to, to serve as a leader in the church and uh, to be able to witness all the, the real beautiful commitment that was exhibited last weekend. And many people were blessed. We've had a lot of feedback around it. A lot of people came to church who'd never been to church before, ever, and got a chance to hear the good news of Jesus. And we were able to offer up art in his name and it's just special. And now, you know, we're talking about how do we move forward? And a large part of where we're going actually is going to connect to this theme of moving forward in faith and in life and in trust with God. I'm going to go ahead and pray. ask God's blessing over our time here that we have. <clears throat> and Lord, I just, again, I want to thank you. I thank you for what has been. Thank you for what is coming. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And again, I, re I realize every time I come up, Lord, I remember that all of us have unique stories in our lives. Many of us came to your house. It was, it was an it was a step of faith and courage for us just to get here. We, we, we made, it, made it a priority to come, even though there's things happening in our lives. And, and a lot of us, Lord, we have things that are awaiting us this week that are very challenging and even in some, some cases scary. But Lord, we want to welcome you in. We want to ask you to fill us with wisdom. There's so much for us to learn about how to honor you with our lives, how to live better, how to grow, how to move forward. And we really want to, we want to invite your presence here. Lord, I pray for a flow of grace. We all need it. I need it. Everyone needs it, Lord. We need your grace. We need your touch. We need your life. Um, be among us, we pray. This is a place where your name is loved. We speak of it. We sing to you, Lord. We honor you in our hearts. We make room. Come and speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, God. I'm calling this message uh, Broken Dreams and Great Expectations. And as I kind of mentioned already, it's a... It's a bit of a bridge. It's a bridge from where we've been. So there's the idea that we're still coming out of Easter, thinking about the cross, the resurrection. At the same time, it sets in motion the theme that we're exploring through the early part of the summer, late part of the spring, this idea of moving forward. Well, I think what I'll do is I want to start with a verse. Now, to set up for the, the primary piece of scripture we're going to look at, I just wanted to put something that connects us back to where we were in the previous uh, weeks. Luke 24, verses 9, through 9 and 11, it says this, Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11, to be the 11 disciples that were there, and, and to the rest, the people who were gathered, other followers of Jesus who were gathered there as well. And this was after, of course, the, the crucifixion on that Sunday. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Now, the, the then they, that they right there, is referring to the women who went to the tomb of Jesus on that first Sunday morning. If, you, if some of us may recall, I know, I know some of us know this, but not everybody does. Um, the, the crucifixion of Jesus occurred on that Friday. It, the Sabbath was coming up at, at sundown on that Friday. Uh, the, the custom of the people in Jerusalem, certainly at the time, would have been that there was no work to be done on Sabbath. So when Jesus dies, they had to hastily get him off the cross and have him... Uh, buried, or at least placed into a tomb. We know that what happened, interestingly enough, at that time was that there were two men uh, who up to this point had been secret admirers of Jesus or admirers from afar. They believed from afar. They believed on him, but they, they had never really 
made a public declaration of their, of who, of their affection for Jesus. We know their names. One man's name was, was Nicodemus, and the other man was Joseph of Arimathea. And these two men um, had made a decision that they were going to, um, you know, ask for <laughs> the body of Jesus. They asked Pilate for permission to give him a proper burial. And what's interesting, and many people have talked about it, Nicodemus, of course, was this, this one who Jesus has this great conversation with in the third chapter of John. And, it, and I've said this before, but that conversation brings out Jesus talking about things like what it means to be born again and made anew in God. It's in the third chapter of John in the course of his discussion under the cloak of darkness with this Pharisee named Nicodemus that Jesus says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life because God did not send his son into this world to condemn it. It's already under death, death's condemnation, but the world through him might have life. That, that was the same Nicodemus, but Nicodemus had, had never felt comfortable, it seems, really making it known to his peers because it, it may have cost him deeply to let, let his friends and his, his associates know that he had a, a growing faith in Jesus. And so it wasn't until actually Jesus dies, and Joseph of Arimathea is a wealthy man as well, he owns a tomb in a garden, and he's going to use that tomb for a purpose. They let it be known that they love Jesus. So they did, listen, they did for him in his death what they never did when he was alive. They made a decision to let it be known that they loved him. And they asked for his body, but they only had a few hours because the Sabbath was coming. So they gave him a rapid, kind of hasty, um, you know, burial. But it, it was done with affection, but, but not with the type of detail that one would expect. And the women who loved Jesus, the Marys and the different ones who were part of the, the group, had made a decision that, that despite everything that had happened and whatever else anybody was saying about Jesus, and by this point, everybody was saying that, you know, he wasn't who he said he was. Um, everybody had witnessed him die. It was, they, but they loved him, and they had been affected by his words, and they cared for him deeply, and it was important to them that he be given a proper burial. And so they made up their mind on that, that first Sunday morning that they wanted to go early in the morning and, and give him a more proper kind of wrapping, and they were going to really make the last, last statement that, of how much they, they loved him and, and appreciated who he was. They were on their way to get the body of Jesus, the dead body of Jesus, and finish what Nicodemus and Joseph had done you know, fairly quickly. And when they get there, the, the tomb is empty. Uh, the stone, the large stone that was blocking it, rolled away. They look in, the body of Jesus is gone. Then all of a sudden there are these two men, at least they look like young men, but the Bible says they're angels, and, but they look like men. And they say to the, the women, you, you are looking for the living among the dead. Why? He's alive. Go and tell the disciples he's alive. And then they, they didn't necessarily believe. They got down. They were afraid. And, and they said to them, they said, don't you remember what he told you when he was in the Galilee, how the Son of Man would be crucified, delivered into the hands of sinful men, crucified, but then he would rise again? Don't you remember him talking about that? Now go, go and tell the disciples. Now, that's what immediately precedes the verse that we opened up with. I want to go back and look at that one more time. Look at those. Now you see what happened. They go back to the disciples. Then they return from the tomb, and, all these things, and they tell all these things that they just experienced to the 11, and look at what the, that it says the reaction was. And their, their words seemed to them like idle tales. 
Another version says sheer nonsense. That it's really important to remember that the initial reaction of the disciples to the news that Jesus was alive was, you must be joking. You want it to be true, but it isn't true. Whatever you think you've heard or seen, oh, we can't explain why. Maybe you're exhausted like the rest of us, but it, he's not alive. And it's, look at the emphatic ending of that. And they did not believe them. That's clear. That's their mindset. They can't remember they, 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 they're in this room, right? They've regrouped. But, man, I mean, after the crucifixion, they're like in a state of shock. I think sometimes we forget how fast things happened and what a, what a rapid uh, decay had occurred. I, okay, let's set, set it back a week. They were walking into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. The reason they call it Palm Sunday is because people in in alignment with the prophecies of the Older Testament, welcomed Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, the great city of David, as the Messiah. And there was a huge gathering. It was the time of Passover. People had come from all over the known world. Jews were gathering. There were people who believed in, in, the, in the Jewish God, the God of Israel. They were coming. Everybody was there from every, many, many countries gathering into Jerusalem. The streets were abuzz. There was a celebrity. That was Jesus. The word was out. The Messiah has come. He's alive. The king, the promised one of Israel. And they're waving palms. In the streets are lined. He's like a celebrity. He's walking into the streets and he's riding intentionally on a donkey in fulfillment with the prophecy as well. And he's entering into the streets of Jerusalem and people are waving palms, crying out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel, Messiah. These are filling the streets. And you know the disciples who've been following him since for three years? always wanting Jesus to step up and let everybody know who you are. They're, can you imagine them? They're walking into the city, and they're hearing all of it. And I know because they had just been arguing. Not, you know, they're going to, in a few days, always arguing about who's the great. They loved it. They are walking around, and they're going, this is great. This is great. Yes. And you can imagine how they felt. Everybody's, and they're attached to Jesus. They're with him. This is what it should be. This is who he is. This is wonderful. This is their mentality, right? They're excited. Everybody's recognizing Jesus as Messiah. So then to have to go from the height of euphoria where it's all coming, it's happening, the kingdom is coming, and then to watch it unravel so fast in front of their eyes, to turn so quickly to where before they even realized it, they were absolutely stunned because it was bad. I mean, Jesus didn't just die. He, he, he died ugly. I, I mean, he got, he got ravaged. He was stripped down. We spent time talking about it. He was stripped down naked, thrown up like a common thief. He was just an, a, a, a stunning sight for anyone to see. It was brutal. It was horrendous. It was devastating. And to see that happen, to have him utterly humiliated, to be scorned and spit on. And, and then on top of it, on top of all of that, then they, how had they done? All of them, to put it gently, they had severely underperformed. Because what had one of them, think about it, right? One of them, one of their own had betrayed him, Judas. Now it was on his way to killing himself. The other one in the middle, their leader, P 
Peter, Simon, who everybody admired for his strength and fierce loyalty, was unprepared for the level, not of the physicality of it. He could fight. What he wasn't prepared for was the spiritual aspect of it. And he folded, denies Jesus, not once, not twice, three times, the last time, emphatically, pulling out all his language, making it clear, I'd have nothing to do with the man. And in that moment, he, so we got a betrayer, we got the leader denying, and then the rest of them, they all run. They abandoned him. Jesus experiences from his closest friends, the people he invested into three years into, a complete betrayal, an absolute denial and repudiation of any relationship whatsoever, and then utter abandonment by everybody who claimed to love him and be his friends. And now they looked in that room and they're looking at each other, and there was nobody there who was sitting in judgment of anybody. Their heads were down because it had been shameful. And how do you go on from that? That's the mindset. They were in. That's why when they got the news, oh, he's alive. Yeah, 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 he's alive, he's alive. He's dead. The dream is dead. He's dead. They're not thinking anything about resurrection. Then something happens. All of a sudden, reports start coming in. Jesus is, is alive. He shows up. In fact, we're told in the book of Acts, and I, this is not in your handout, but it says in the very first chapter of the book of Acts, it says, During the 40 days after his crucifixion, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. It's fascinating is because he starts to appear. He appears first to the women, and it's interesting because it seems like the resurrected body of Jesus, which many people have spent a lot of time thinking about because they say, is that what our body is going to be like? He was extraordinarily human. He could be touched. He ate. At the same time, he could appear and disappear. Time and space did not have the same kind of limitations. And in fact, we know his, so the Bible says that during those 40 days, he appears to Mary first and the women. And, and then later on, he appears to the disciples in the room. Remember who was not in the room at that time was one of the disciples. And his name was Thomas. And when Jesus appears and they all tell him, Thomas, you, weren't, you should have been here. You, Jesus, Jesus is alive. He says... There is no way he's alive. I do not. I saw him die. Listen to me, he says to all of them. I don't care what you think you saw until I put my finger, my fingers in his hands and touch the place where I saw the nails shoot through. You will not get me ever to believe that. He was clear. And of course, that sets up that moment where when Jesus does appear to Thomas, he says, my Lord, my God, because he's touched me. He says, Thomas, touch me. Put your hands there. Put your hand there. Blessed are you, because you believe and you see and now you believe, but blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. It's a great word. And then later on, remember what happens in the, around the Sea of Galilee? Jesus shows up while they're fishing. They don't know what's coming next. And then he, he starts making bread and fish upon the fire. That's when at the very last chapter in John's account, Gospels, he has this conversation with Peter around the Sea of Galilee, who's still a broken man. And he has that conversation. He says, Peter, do you love me? That's when it occurs. And Peter says, you know, I love you. <laughs> but then Jesus says, I need you to feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? It's two times. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love three times? I think pretty clear. Each one to match the denial. You know everything, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. 
those were all recorded moments. But there's this one interesting account that Luke includes called the Emmaus account. And it's about Jesus' appearance to two disciples, one whose name we know, Cleopas, and the other who's unnamed. And it's fascinating to read it. Look at, the, and that's what we're going to spend the, the, our, our remaining minutes looking at. Look, at. look at Luke 24 with me. This is in your handout. Luke 24, verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers, that's Sunday, okay? They were walking to the village of Emmaus, verse 13, seven miles from Jerusalem. So there's a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, around and they were walking along and they were talking about everything that had happened. So here you have these two men who've come, who are followers, who had been followers of Jesus. They're going home now. They're on their way back from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's Sunday. And they're talking and they're discussing everything that's transpired, what they thought, the tragedy of it all, what had happened. They're having a discussion like friends do, who have been through a trauma together. And in the context of that conversation, it says that they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. It says, as they talked and discuss these things. Look at what the Bible says happens. It says, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But, they, but it says that God kept them from recognizing him. So he, imagine the moment. So they're walking, they're walking, they're talking, and all of a sudden they realize, so I don't know, somewhere along the way, so at some moment, somebody, who are you, right? Where, do you, where, do you come, where did you come from? And they start having this conversation. This is what the Bible describes. It says he asked them, and he says, what do you, he asked them, what is it that you guys are talking about that you're so intense? Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, okay? <laughs> I can say he does. Anybody with the question, what, what, what are you discussing that's so intently as you're walking along? And they stopped short, and they said, listen. And look at the phrase that's used. I love the phrase. Sadness written all over their faces. Don't you know what's happened? And then Cleopas, he, he says it even more clearly. He says, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here these last three days. Where have you been, stranger? Have you no idea what's been going on? Where You don't know? <laughs> what things, Jesus says, right? <laughs> wow. I mean, that's great. And I often thought, you know, like I said, I hear I see the Lord feigning ignorance to draw them out. It's serious and it's playful. It's very human. Uh, the capacity, okay, quick side note. The capacity for humor, subtlety, irony. Do you know that? That is a reflection of something of God. It's a very unique human character. We all know it when we experience it. We do it all the time. Where did that come from? That, you, that is a unique, unique characteristic that we possess. And it, it, it's got to be a, a, a fracture or a piece of God. The Bible says that even in our fallen condition, hum, the human race is stamped with the, what the ancients called the imago Dei, the image of God. It reflects something of who he is. And when, I think when you see things like this, the nuance, the, the humor, the subtlety, these are things that are gifts from God. It's a reflection of a part of who he is, just as real as love reflects why do we love? Why do we create things? What is in our spiritual DNA, in our soul, that causes us to want to create and discover and expand? What is it that causes us to laugh and to be able to appreciate, again, things like this? this, is a, this is a, and, and do you hear me when I also say there are times when the Lord is walking among us and we know it not? They're having a, you know when Jesus showed up? I love this. 
in the middle of their conversation about him. There are times when we talk about the value of small groups, the value of having people who can talk about spiritual things with, about things of the Lord with, discusses the Bible with. One of the real values of being able to do, share that is that in the middle of those conversations, I've often found it to be true. Jesus shows up in a unique way. And sometimes we don't recognize him. And sometimes he's with us and, and we, we can't see it, but he's there. Other times we go, wow, the Lord was in this place. But I, I love this. I mean, tell us, you, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened? Do you know what has happened these last few days? What things, Jesus asks? You know, look at it, the things concerning that happened to Jesus, the, the man from Nazareth. You surely you heard of him. He was, how can we say it? He was a prophet. He, he did powerful, powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher. He, no matter what else, you know, we thought he was more than that, but he wasn't. But whatever else he was, he was that. He was a prophet and he was a great teacher. Oh, if you heard him talk, you, it, he was amazing. The things he said, the way he, the way he taught us about who God was. I mean, this is... It was, it, was, it was something that you had to experience. By, but then you, I think you may not know this, but our leading priests and there were other religious leaders, they handed him over to, be, to the Romans to be condemned to death and then they, they crucified him. And look at the, do you see the, do you see the hopeless, do you see the broken dream in the verse 27 or 21? We had hoped, we, we had hoped he was the Messiah. We would put our, we, we, we thought he was. But he wasn't. He, we hoped he was the one who would come to rescue Israel, but that was obviously something that wasn't true. And that was, this happened a few days ago. It happened about three, three days ago, actually, on Friday. And then, and, you know, and again, I look at that and I go, wow, you know, it really does emphasize how deeply impacted they were by um, this fact. You know what? You know what it, when they looked at the cross, you know what they saw written out? Failure. So for them, the cross spelled failure. And one thing is pretty clear to me. Their faith was overwhelmed. Whatever else Jesus had said stuff, he had told them, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. They said, yeah, 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 whatever that means, Lord. But by the time it actually happens, their faith is so overwhelmed. It's like, it's like you know what? It can happen to the best of us. Life hits us with something. It's like a wave, man. It just overwhelmed them. They got overwhelmed. Their faith was just overwhelmed by what they saw. And it was intense. And, and so, you know, and, it, and look what it says. And then, and then they, said, they said, this was three days ago, but look at verse 22. And then some women from our group of his followers, look at that, were at his tomb early this morning. You know, they went there early this morning. They, we, they gave us a report. In fact, it was earlier in the day here. And the report was this. They said that his body was missing. And then they, they gave us this story that they had seen some angels who told them that Jesus is alive. And then some of our men ran out. That was Peter and John, and just to see and check it out. The part that's true, at least, is that his body's gone. Look at what the older version puts it this way, just real quick, just to give you the sense of how emphatic they say. Certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they didn't see. They didn't, they didn't see him. That's what causes Jesus to respond the way he does. Look what he does says that then Jesus said to them, oh, come on, you foolish people. Do you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted 
that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory. And then Jesus took them on what would have had to be called the greatest Bible study ever, right? <laughs> Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and the prophets, and he starts explaining how all of these things contained prophetic, um, anticipatory, uh, both symbolically in word and in word that would reflect the suffering Messiah. No doubt he led them into the book of Isaiah where it talks about the suffering Messiah. In the Psalms where it talks about them gambling for his clothes as he's hung before the people like dogs at his feet, graveling for him as he's nailed. I mean, there's all these, these things in the order. Jesus is leading them through uh, uh, the scriptures and, and opening them up to them. And look what it says happened. And it says as they were nearing Emmaus, getting back to the end of their journey, Jesus was acting as if he was just going to go keep going. And, and, and they said, hey, 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 hey. I love this. Stay the night. Uh, it's getting late, and we would love for you to talk with us some more. Just stay with us. And so he went home with them, and then they sat down, and he took the bread. Now, see this? Look at this. He took the bread. Do you see there's something going on here? And he, he says the blessing. And up to this point, again, they don't recognize him. But as he says the blessing, and then he takes the bread, and he breaks the bread, it says, as the bread is being broken, their eyes are open, and they see him, and they recognize him. They recognize him. They find him in the breaking. Did he not say, this is my body broken for you? Was it not a picture of his brokenness that leads us into into his very life. You see, true seeing is based on our ability to see him in his brokenness for us. Power. It's a great, they see him, he, he's gone. And then look what it says. They said to each other, ah, oh, didn't our hearts burn? I mean, wasn't it something within us as he talked with us on the road and, 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 and explained the scriptures? So wasn't that an amazing thing? I mean, what they're saying is this, right? Open eyes and holy heartburn, right? Our heart is burning on the inside. It's great. Wasn't that awesome? That's what was being said there. Now, I say all that because as I interacted with this, I found myself getting, feeling like, Lord, may my heart be always, may my heart be warmed by you too. May, may your words come into my life and warm me as well. Now, listen to me. Just stay with me these couple minutes here. Let me just put this out there on the board. And we think about it throughout the rest of the week. But I'm reminded of how in life the Lord draws near to us in our sadness and challenges us to trust him. To trust his words. Say, you guys, you see that? Just as Jesus drew near to these two disciples in the midst of their sorrow and disappointment, because they were, they had, remember he says, there was sorrow written all over their faces. Why? Because they had lost something. They lost Jesus, but they had lost a dream. And the Lord was going to give them not the dream they thought, but a new dream. That's a word for some of us, I think. There are times when God has a new thing, and it wasn't what we were thinking was coming, but it's something very different. But I thought about life and what makes it such an incredible gift, because it is, you know. I, I, thought, I, I found myself writing down as I was looking at this. I was saying, you know, Lord, it's so good. I thank you for the gift of life. I started writing down. It's good for you to do this, us to do this every now and then. I started writing out what I loved about life, being alive. And I started thinking about life's beauty and what I enjoy most about it. And I said, yeah, I, I love the gift of a new day. I love the sun. I love reading in the sun. Not, not direct sunlight, but I mean, I like reading in the sun. 
I love the beauty of nature. Didn't always ha- I didn't always appreciate it. You know, speaking of sun, you know, I think part of the reason I love it so much is I grew up in the sunset. I barely ever saw it. You know, I, I, when I do see it, I love it. That's where it set. It never came back up. You know, it's the sunset. But I, I, I loved. I was. I grew up in the city. Someone introduced me in the middle of my twenties to the idea of backpacking in the Sierras. I had never done it in my entire life. I fell in love with it. Something I love is like going into the cathedral that was made by God. Nature's cathedral that testifies to the glory of God. I, I, I would see these granite just shaped, the most beautiful cathedral I ever saw testifying to the beauty of the, of the creative God, like art. I understood the Psalms so much better when I got out and saw it. How the trees clap and, and the wind sings your praise. The trees bow down and declare your glory. The moon and the stars you have set in place. I love all of the mountains. Your faithfulness is like the mountains. Your love endures. It's all that. I love that. I, I, don't, I think I'll love it for all my life. And I love, I was thinking about other things I love. I love the smile on the face of people I love a lot. What a gift that is. How I take it for granted because I won't always see it. Someday I won't see it. There are some people in my life who I wish I could see them one more time. I won't. Not on this side. I, I understand that. I understand the gifts. I mean, I think about laughing. I like to laugh. My kids tell me I laugh the hardest at my own jokes. Right? <laughs> and then they laugh at me. Uh, <laughs> I love history. I love well-crafted words. I love art, I love film, I love good storytelling. I, I, love, I like exercising, I like my favorite teams, my San Francisco teams. I, like, I have a lot of stuff I like. <laughs> but I also know this, life has sad chapters too. And the older you get, the more you feel them. And um, they're not always distributed fairly, but the fact of the matter is some of us experience incredibly sad things too. And I thought about the things that make us sad because these guys were sad. Why? Why were they sad? Because someone they loved was dead. And had, they, they really felt that loss. And I think we usually feel saddest when we lose things. Sometimes there's other things. I get that. But losing things, we lose a relationship that really meant something to us. A friendship. Have you ever had, have you ever had a friendship that was a, a good friendship and it just blew up. And some friendships are so fragile, such gifts, that even when they're restored, they're never quite what they were. Or when someone, again, like I said, when we, lo- when we, when, when we love someone and they leave us too soon and we, we have that void in our lives and we, we got to move forward, but it's hard sometimes. Well, we've all been there. Some of us have health issues. Some of us have things that we're dealing with in our career and identity and Others of us, it has to do with other things. Like I was talking to someone, and I was, they were in, a, we were in a very candid conversation with them. And they were, much, they were older than me. And I, I've always loved talking to people who are older in life. I feel like there's so much wisdom to glean and sobriety there. Because it reminds us that we're all passing through. And also what the difference is between people. And I'll say, I'll say this, I won't go too far into this, but I've watched how people age well, and I've watched how people don't age well. I've watched, I've, watched people, I've watched people become very angry the older they got, and I've watched people become more beautiful and 
graceful and kind. And I said, by your grace, Lord, that's what I want to be if you let me live long enough. I want to go that way. If that doesn't mean exemption from pain and sorrow. I've talked to people and said one of the hardest things is losing your friends. You don't realize that. You start saying goodbye to people. It's hard. It's really hard. Others will tell me about how hard it is, how humbling it is to lose our capacities to enjoy certain things in life that we've always taken for granted, our health and our ability to experience the body gives out on us. It makes what Jesus promised all the more meaningful. The illusion of youth is it'll always be this way. It's not so. But I am reminded of one other thing, that, that the Lord wants us, listen, even when we fail and experience sadness or pain or deep loss, can you hear me? He wants to come beside us just like he did with them and meet us in our place of despair and sadness. And he wants us to move forward in trust, okay? And to settle ourselves in his love and in his life. Um, he wants us to trust him. We're invited to trust his words. Oh, don't you understand? Listen to my words. Take them in. I think of trust. I think of like, when I think of trust, I think of this this motion, this is trusting to me, putting my weight on him. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I'm putting my, I'm trusting your words. My weight is here. When we get some things coming our way, remember to trust his words. Why? Number two, because all things can work together for good. He can take the bad things, number two here, and turn them into good. Never underestimate what God can do. Okay, the cross was a bad thing. It was awful. God flips the cross down. Think of, it, think of the visual. Here's the cross. Flip it upside down and it becomes a bridge and we walk across that bridge in, from death into life. Away from God, lost humanity, Holy God, the cross flips down, becomes the bridge that we walk across, right? To find him. He gives everything. He lays his life down to create a path to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Do you believe my words? And the last thing, speaking of his words, is this. The more you think about it, remember this, that because of what Jesus did, we are to live with assurance always, always, and expectation that we are to be a people who live in the promise and freedom of Christ. And that has both ramifications for when I leave this life and step into eternity, and also how I live this life and step into my future, the days ahead. And I was thinking about eternity, and we'll close with this last piece of scripture, because it blessed me so much. 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live, look at the phrase here, I love it. Now we live with great expectation. 
Through anything, great, this is how we are to live with great expectation because we have a priceless, you can't, money can't buy it, a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept for you in heaven, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach, I love this, beyond the reach of change and decay. A promise sure and true, an anchor. Wow. And the promise that he will walk with us is not just into that place, but through this life. Lord, I am to live with promise and expectation of your goodness in my life. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. And when I am tempted to be afraid or overwhelmed, Lord, I will trust you and your word over my life. And the promise that I have in you will become a way of life. Let's pray. All right, Lord. Maybe we have our time of giving, our closing song, which talks about you mending things. How good is that? But I pray that you would fashion and frame us in the people you want us to become. Teach us not to be afraid of things, even our own weakness. How great is the Lord. How good, how gracious are you. How amazing your love. Many waters cannot quench it. Gift from heaven, unearned, undeserved. I pray that we would just be open to receiving it. Teach us, Lord, not to live in... In, in, the, in the things that are only temporary. But remember, Lord, to also think about things eternal as you taught us, not to be mesmerized by things that will pass away. Let our hearts burn. Give us the gift of, of a holy heart burning. In Jesus' name, amen.